try to clear up a bunch of mess that false religion has brought into what it is to not only be a Christian, but to live the Christian life. And religion is the problem. And we're going to look at this today. Verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, which means separated, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's going to be one of the things we're going to concentrate on, your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. And if I forget to mention this later, the, the word world is talking about this period or age. There's some weird ideas that religious people have about what the world is, about being worldly and so on and so forth. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to, but to think soberly or right-mindedly, according as God has dealt to every man, and he's talking about believers, the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, talking about the church, all members, they have not the same office. Uh, so we being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. So it's talking about the church is a body and there's separate members in the body, but yet all the members are together as one in union together as a church under the head of the church under Christ. And so it goes into some examples here of differing gifts or measures of faith, as it mentioned earlier. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy, according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teaches in the teaching, or he that exhorts on exhortation, he that gives, let him do it with simplicity, he that leads with diligence, he that shows mercy with cheerfulness. So those are just some examples there of things that are done in the church by various members. And this is not all. This is just some examples of those that are given. And it kind of just briefly says how to do those things. And connected to that is verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. And cleave or cling to that which is good. Be kind and affectionate one toward another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. In other words, look outside yourself. Don't be so selfish. Verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, steadfastly continuing in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, or in other words, believers, and pursuing hospitality. So uh, we'll stop the reading there and we're going to we'll give a brief introduction here. We'll get back to some of the things the text says. God's people are 
comforted with the gospel. Religion has a way of just beating people up and whipping them, mainly with the law, with rules and different things to make them feel guilty. And usually, you know, you try to talk to people about Christ and the gospel, and they think you're talking to them about that generic false Christ out there that has this method of salvation that is meritorious, conditional on what you do, and they will just beat the living daylights out of you and make you feel guilty for not doing enough to be saved, to stay saved, to maintain your salvation, to be, quote unquote, holy, and so on and so forth. But most of us here came out of false religion. God's shown us the gospel of his free and sovereign grace. And now we know how to serve the Lord. And uh, as, we, as we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, we learn more and we see deeper in how we are to live. And it's totally opposite of the way religion tells us uh, how to do it. The scripture says that we are to live by faith and not by sight. Most people get that confused. It means, well, you just blindly stumble through and get by. Faith comes by hearing the word of God and it comes with an understanding. And we do what God says to do and how to do it rather than those that would judge by an outward appearance, judge by the law, judged by, hey, this guy's a clean-cut guy, he's wearing a suit and a tie, he, he, he must be saved, you know. And then they'll look at a guy that might be, I don't know, a bum or a, or a, or a biker or whatever, the, the kind that Christ ate with, sinners. And they would look at those people and say, well, they can't be saved. They're, eh, they're dirty, they're poor, or they smell, or, you know, they're not, they're not like that religious wax figure like we are, you know what I mean? Christ had problems with the religious people. He would told them, he said, you know, you're all whited up on the outside like a empty, uh, you know, tomb. But inside you're full of dead men's bones. There's a lot to be said all about that. We could go on forever and ever, but we'll get into some details as we go along. But God has freed his people. He's freed us in Christ. And he's given us a new mind to be able to see these things rightly. And he's given us faith to look to Christ and to live under the dominion or the rule of grace, free and sovereign grace. But how often do even people claiming to believe what we do about grace, how often do some people, and you're, you're friends with many, sometimes we have people run in and out of here too, that get their eyes off of our acceptance in Christ alone and our proper motivations for obedience to God. And they will get caught up in this needless confusion about how the Christian life works. And it's needless confusion. And I constantly am in contact with people that claim to believe what we believe. Some for 10, 20, 30 years that are still spewing out incorrect things about how to live the Christian life. And it's not like it's, it's just some secondary issue that won't affect you. It will affect you. It'll affect your peace of mind. It'll affect your assurance of salvation. And it's a big deal. It affects, on, it affects how you look at yourself and how you look at God. 
And usually the wrong way to live the Christian life is to raise man up, to lower God down, and you meet somewhere in the middle and you say, that looks good. That's not, that's not the way. So if a person is not exercised in the gospel, the gospel is a message that when it comes to you, it turns your world upside down. And then you don't set it aside and you say, well, I believe the gospel. Now I'm going to get the cherry on top. I'm going to move on to something else. I'm going to forget about the gospel. The gospel is something that you grow in and you learn more about and it expands your mind. And everything that you learn in the scriptures is filtered through that gospel. And that gospel is the foundation for how you live the Christian life by faith. Let me read. You can turn if you want. Hebrews 5. We'll be coming back to our text here in a second. But there's three verses here in Hebrews 5. If you remember, the, the book of Hebrews is, is written to the Hebrew Christians who were coming out of the Old Covenant. Remember, the Old Covenant was a the giving of the law and the ceremonies and the sacrifices. And it was to pretty much show... Here's a system I'm going to give you. You can't keep it. It's too strict. It shows my standard. You're going to break the law. It's going to show that there's these sacrifices that are pictures and types and shadows of Christ who is to come. That is going to be the sacrifice to pay for the penalty of that law. This is just a system. It's in temporary position. You can't keep it. The system that matters is the gospel system of the new covenant, which some of the old Testament saints believed that system already, the, the system of grace. But in the Old Covenant, he was warning these Hebrew Christians, since they believed the gospel, not to go back under that Old Covenant because it was bondage. It's called the administration of death. And um, it was just going back under the law that they couldn't keep in the first place. And he was warning them. Why do, you, why do you keep having the tendency you want to go back there? You're under grace. Christ is your, your resting place. Christ is your Sabbath. That's who you rest in. And in verse 12 of Hebrews 5, it says, For indeed, because of the time, you ought to be, at this time, you ought to be teachers by now, he's saying. You should be teachers by now. But you have need for one to teach you again. The first principles of the oracles of God. You have become in need of milk and not solid food, not meat. For everyone partaking of milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, maturity in other words, even those who because of the use have their senses referring to spiritual senses, exercised to understand both good and evil. And, and don't get wrapped up and kind of misinterpret what good and evil here is. There's some basics of what good and evil is, but we know, just like the word flesh can be used in many different ways, we know sometimes when it talks about evil and flesh, it's talking about self-righteousness. So this was the problem with these people wanting to go back under the old covenant. That's evil. That's wickedness. That's death. That's self-righteousness. Thinking that you can keep that covenant. And it was, it was set up to show you can't keep it. There's something. There's a better covenant. There's a better priest. Christ is the priest. 
He fulfilled the law. He is salvation. He is the gospel. So he, this is a, an example here that the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, you guys are, make up your minds here. Just like the Galatians, right out of Galatians a second ago. Same deal. Paul came to those Galatians. He said, what are you guys doing dipping back into the law? Nobody is justified by the deeds of the law. It's evident because cursed is everyone that does not continue to keep that law all the time. You can't do it. If you think you can do it, you're under a curse. And he's warning the Hebrews the same thing. Don't go back. He said believers are those that don't go back. They press on in faith in Christ who is the one who fulfilled the law. And that is the dominion of grace. And I'm saying, let's not let's not do that either. We know people that do it. We're always talking with people on social media. We need we have friends, family, relatives, and we're trying to always push this message forward. Like, what you think that you can be saved by doing this or keeping this up? Salvation is something that Christ must accomplish, and it's finished already. And it is so unnatural to just stop and say. Okay, that's what I believe, because you can't naturally do that. Your natural tendency is to sin got me into this thing. Obedience is going to get me out. That's man's nature. That's self-righteousness. And the gospel has to explode that idea out of your mind. And you got to be convinced that the work must be done outside of myself. Christ, the one who's trustworthy to do this work perfectly, must do it to satisfy God for me. And I got to quit. I got to lay. I got to submit to that truth. And after you submit to that truth, then you can think about starting to do something for a different reason. Not to earn salvation, not to maintain salvation, but express your obedience out of love, out of gratitude, thanksgiving, and so on. So we'll get into that as we go along. I want to. Uh, Bill Parker wrote an article. And uh, I'm going to use some of his notes in this short article, and I'm going to add some of my own commentary. And the article was called Repentance from Dead Works Before We Take the First Step. This is very important. I remember uh, we used to meet in another building down the road, and um, I was preaching. I can't remember what I was preaching on, but some guy in the back, he right in the middle of the message, he raised his hand. And uh, he wanted to do something, you know, he wanted to, he wanted to work, you know, he wanted to get busy working and um, kind of surprised me that he just spoke out in the middle of the message, you know, and I, I said, you know, I'll give you, I can talk to you all you want after the message, but I'll tell you this right now, if you don't have this gospel straight, stop, don't do anything. And this will explain these, this short article that I'm going to go through and my commentary will explain why. Again, repentance from dead works before we take the first step. And before we take the first step of Christian obedience is what we're getting at. A godly change of mind, which that's what repentance is. Repentance is a change of mind. The scripture talks about godly sorrow over sin. So that's why he stated a godly change of mind. Because religion has a change of mind, but it's not 
according to the scripture. So it's ungodly, not godly. But a godly change of mind, repentance in other words, is a gift of God. And this is in light of the gospel, which says Christ and his righteousness revealed in the gospel is the only ground of salvation. And we talk about that every week. We went into great detail three weeks ago. We just spent the whole hour on that one point. Christ and his righteousness, which is revealed in the gospel, is the only ground of salvation. It's the only basis, ground, and cause of salvation. Who he is and what he did to accomplish and merit salvation. So repentance is a change of mind that you are not a part of that. But Christ is the only one that did that. This repentance or change of mind, it concerns the character of God. And we always talk about if I, you know, there's different methods on how to deliver the gospel. One I like to talk about is, is three things. Who God is and what he requires. Who man is and how he can't meet those requirements. And who Christ is and how that Christ bridges that gap to be the mediator to fulfill those requirements. So this line here, this repentance is a change of mind concerning the character of God. So what about the character of God? We talk about it all the time. God is absolutely perfectly holy and he demands absolute perfection all the time from everybody. Right away we see, uh oh, we're in trouble, right? There's a dilemma. So whatever the answer is, it's gotta be outside of ourself. Because we don't have it in us. That's why that old covenant won't work. That's why people that are going back in that old covenant, the writers are saying, get out of there. That's no place to be. That's the administration of death. So the character of God demands perfection. And it concerns the only ground of salvation, which Christ alone can establish in order to be justified or declared perfectly righteous. I have to be declared perfectly righteous. When I die and go to judgment and I walk up to judgment and I face the Lord Jesus Christ, I have to be perfectly righteous. Absolutely perfectly righteous. No sin. The only way that can be done is to have Christ's righteousness performed for me and charged to my account so that I have it. That's a transfer from him to me. Now I got it. He looks at me. He doesn't see me. He sees the perfect work of Christ. Now that is so unnatural. Again, that is religion hates that idea. First of all, they hate it because they can't get in there and do something with it. They, they want to naturally do something to say, like the guy in Matthew 7, when he stepped up to the judgment, he said, but Lord, Lord, haven't I... Cast out demons in your name. I prophesied in your name and I did many wonderful works. You know, he, he didn't heed the warning of the gospel preachers. If he even heard the gospel in, the, in his life that said, stop with that. Stop. Shut up. The law should have shut you up in the first place because the law makes everyone guilty. And, it's, and the scripture says that it shuts their mouth. It's like Paul wrote to Galatians. Don't you hear what the law's saying? The law's saying it demands absolute perfection all the time. 
let's just right away get the picture. You can't do it. So turn from, quit looking inside, turn to Christ, the one who kept the law perfectly, the sinless Savior, spotless Lamb of God, kept the law, then took the penalty of the law on himself and died and paid the penalty of law and satisfied God's law and justice for his people. And if you can't see that and can't submit to that truth, you're not God's people. If you die and never submit to that truth, you're not chosen of God. That's evidence that you're not chosen of God. So God must give you this knowledge. I'm giving it to you right now in English. It's in black and white. I'm spitting it out. I can give you references. I can put you to sleep. It's, it's all over the scripture. We talk about it every week. We've been talking about it for years. And um, as you can see, this place is jam-packed with people that are just so delighted to hear it, right? <laughs> I mean, does it matter? I'm discouraged every week that nobody shows up. But I know why, because people don't like this truth. So I got to be reminded of what we're doing here. And remind you guys, I might need a little encouragement every now and then. <laughs> it's a change of mind concerning Christ, who Christ is. This, this repentance is a change of mind concerning who Christ is. How that he has accomplished already. It's done. Historically, he has accomplished the ground of salvation, which justifies ungodly sinners. He has already merited all that it takes to get to heaven. The change of mind also concerns ourselves as we are, we are guilty. I mean, this kicks against the root of our human pride, right? Because by nature, I mean, Adam in the garden, what, when he got busted, what did he say? It's Eve. She did it. Eve said, it's a snake. You know what I mean? And, um, they, their conscience bothered them, and they, they saw that they, were, uh, that they were naked in front of God, and they, they wanted to cover themselves. So they got a fig leaf apron, made a fig leaf apron, and thought, okay, we're covered. That's that natural conscience, that guilt. And they covered themselves, and God said, I ain't going to do. I'm going to kill an animal. I'm going to cover you with those skins. And what was that a picture of? you got to have somebody die so you can be covered. That's talking about Christ. Christ has to die so that you can be covered with his righteousness, that robe of righteousness. And God spoke to Adam. He said, uh, Adam, where are you at? And he didn't do it for information purposes. He's, I think it was for us, too, to read it. Adam said, I hid because I was afraid. He's guilty, right? So... He didn't just come out and say, here I am, God, I messed up. No, he hid. That's self-righteousness. You got to hit, you got to hide your sin because you're proud. So there's several different ways. And you got to hide by saying Eve did it. You get the guilt off me, it's her. Eve said Satan did it. You know, that's that self-righteousness. So that what the gospel does is it shows us, it shuts our mouths and stops us. You're guilty. Stop, stop this foolishness. This insanity, it's actually sin to try to 
earn your way to heaven by the things that you do. That's the worst sin. That's the worst thing you can do. That's looking at the accomplished, satisfactory work of Christ, which is the most glorious thing that God did in Christ. The most important thing is why the world was created for this to happen. And you're looking at that and you're saying, I can take care of this myself. That's spitting in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a change of mind concerning who we are. We're guilty. We're defiled. We're wicked. We're evil. We're born that way. And then we pile on by the things we do, by the way we think. The heart is desperately wicked, the scripture says. You can't even know it yourself. And we owe a debt to God's law and justice that we can never pay. We owe that. God demands it. We can't pay it. So we got to look to a surety or one who takes care of the payments, right? The payment, we're not qualified to pay. The payment is a perfect sacrifice or death. The wages of sin is death, the scripture says. We're not qualified to die that death to pay for our own sin. So it's a change of mind about who God is, what he demands, change of mind about who Christ is, what he accomplished, a change of mind about who we are, right? And it's a change of mind that gets down to this, the honesty about our best efforts to remove the guilt and defilement of sin. Our best efforts are the biggest problem. Our sincerity, fervent zeal, sincerity. Some people in religion say, well, God just, all he expects is just you to do your best. Man, at his best, Psalm 39.5, is altogether vanity. That word just means it's a waste. You personally, separate from Christ, are a waste. You got to come to that conclusion. Scripture says that. Scripture says that all the earth together, when it's considered who they are as value and worth to God, is less than nothing. That's below zero. But naturally, we we think we are, you know, we're we're number one, right? That's the way we react to everything. And if something happens to us, we. I told that guy. I do that all the time. I think that all the time. This this person, guy cut in front of me in line. He ran me off the road. You know what I mean? It's like I'm I'm more important than anybody else. That's just a person. Think about you in connection with God. You're nothing. You're less than nothing. So God must humble a person to see themselves like this. And then when they see what is available outside of themselves, and there's only one thing available that that honors God and that will save your soul. It's the work of Christ. And you see that and your mind is open up to that. You're thinking, I just hit the lottery. This is, <laughs> this is grace. You mean I don't have to get under the curse of the law, which it seems like I'm reading. I can't do it anyway. But yet for some reason, I'm pressed to kind of want to get in there and do that. I'm, I'm, I'm schizophrenic over this thing. I can't what I can't do it. But yet I feel like I want to do it. Grace says, stop. He did it. And by faith, we receive that. 
Now, faith is not something that you pull out from inside yourself. Faith is a work, supernatural work of God in your mind that just causes you to see that and agree with it. Simple as that. I see that clearly. I understand it, that he is the only way. What he did satisfied God's law and justice. He is my only way. What he has done, I'm complete in him. He's finished the work. He accomplished it. It's effective. It's effectual. It's sufficient by itself. That's what I want. (laughs) That's what I need. And there is, here's the point, there is no other hope. That's why you need to stop. There is no other hope than what Christ has done. And if you can see that, if you agree with that, if you understand that, and and the things that I've just clearly explained are not hard to understand. People just don't like them because it hurts their pride. It's offensive. The scripture says it calls it the offense of the cross. Remember the Apostle Paul, he illustrates his own experience in Philippians 3 where he talks about his his pedigree, his seniority in that false religion he used to be a part of in the Old Covenant. And he kind of said what the guy in Matthew 7 when he was deceived and went up to judgment, he said, but Lord, Lord, didn't I do this, this and that? Well, Paul says, you know what? Some of you guys are thinking you did some religious stuff. But my past, I blew you guys away, and it still wasn't good enough. He started naming the things that he was. He was a Pharisee. He was born out of a certain tribe. He was, uh, as far as the law, he had like a bunch of PhDs. You know, he was the go-to guy for religion and the law. And he said, "I, I let all that go. I counted it as loss and dung, D-U-N-G, crap. He said, I flushed it. That's what that is. That's what it is to God. My old religion, my self-righteousness to God is crap. So that's how it gets personal with us. And so we see all that, all this, we see all that before we take the first step to serve God. If you don't see that, don't take the first step because each step you take is considered just dead works, self-righteousness, and it's just sin. Serving God by some type of a motive that is not a gospel motive, whether it be to gain or maintain, or thinking it makes you holy, or thinking it makes you righteous and acceptable before God, dead works. It's, It's nothing different than the old covenant the administration of death, you're going to try to make it under the curse. And they say, well, you know, I'm not under the law. God, again, he'll accept my sincerity. I mean, he's not that harsh, is he? I mean, he's not that inflexible. He'll he'll accept a lower law. You know, he, he, he wants me to, out of my free will... He wants me to just do the best that I can. He doesn't accept the best you can do. He doesn't even like it. The best you can do is sin. He accepts Christ's best. Christ's best is what impresses him. You want to impress God? Be found in Christ. 
If you want God to judge you, then appear on your own in judgment without a mediator, an advocate, in other words, a lawyer. You want to go before a strict judge without a lawyer? You don't know anything about the law. You know, oh, I got this. I'll be all right. And then you walk into the room and it's serious. You know, you've got the other courtroom and it's real quiet. Step in front of the judge. You're going to try to lawyer up on yourself. I mean, prison time is what's going to happen if you don't lawyer right. Well, I have got a mediator, a go-between, a, a, someone between me and the, and the father who demands absolute perfection. I've got a lawyer. It's his son. And Christ fulfilled that law that was demanded from me. And Christ's work says to the father, stop. I got this guy. I am this guy's substitute. I represent him. I'm his advocate. And the father is impressed with that and looks at me just like he looks at his son and says, you're in, right? And I don't add to it. And you know what? On top of that, I've done no. Shut up, <laughs> right? The gospel tells us constantly, shut up. Look to Christ. You got to understand that before you take the first step. And so this is this can only be seen in the gospel. We talked about the gospel really clear the last uh, few weeks, especially two weeks ago, talking about the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel. And it causes us to submit to his righteousness because we have none of our own. Now, religion looks at our own obedience and efforts our very best, in other words. Religion looks at that, and as the scripture says, they highly esteem that. They look on that like, ooh, that's 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 religion. You know, that's that's what it's all about. But the Father highly esteemed the work of Christ. That's why when Christ died, the Father raised him up. He didn't just say, Okay, he's alive. Now Christ ascended and he is placed at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is in the highest position of anybody in the world that will ever be in this age or any age to come. You cannot get any higher. And so he is in a place of honor. And the scripture says in the end that every tongue shall confess, whether they're saved or not. And I believe this is talking about at judgment, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And by that time, it'll be too late. There's no more pleading any, any kind of other thing. While we're alive and breathing, we plead the blood of Christ as our merit to heaven, which has nothing to do with me. So the gospel tells us that. So what we thought was pleasing to God before, now we see that it was just our own flesh. We see that what we once highly esteemed in our own minds, we're ashamed of it. I think I mentioned this before, wherever I've ever worked at, you, you've got a religious crowd. And in the cafeteria, they usually sit at the religious table. They don't want to have anything to do with those people. They don't want to have anything to do with me either. Because they are concentrating on things that they do to recommend themselves to God. Now and at judgment. 
it's dead works, evil deeds, and scripture calls it fruit unto death. So we now see that before believing Christ's righteousness alone, our thoughts were all wrong. I mean, it takes humility to say, you know what? I was wrong. Sometimes uh, I'll get in a fight with my wife and uh, sometimes I'll say, I was wrong. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I don't think I'm wrong. But when I'm wrong, it takes humility to say, you know what, I was wrong. This is far more important right here. When God gets you in a place where he will humble you with the power of the spirit and the clarity of the word of God. You just got to say, you got to see I, I was wrong. I'm, I'm discounting all that, all that religion I had before. All that's not, I'm not counting it as my seniority. I'm starting brand new right here because I have a, I have a savior now. I'm serving a true God. Now these idols that I had in my imagination, this false Christ that would accept that crap. I'm ashamed of that. I'm ashamed of that false Christ. I'm ashamed of that false gospel. This is the only one available. This is the only one that's worth serving. That's repentance. Now, how do we look at how do we look at, say, moral things, morality? We have a conscience. We already have a conscience. Even before we believe the gospel, we have a conscience. And we know that it's wrong to steal, right? And when we're in religion, we would maybe not steal so that we could say we don't steal, right? Or we would not steal so that we wouldn't feel guilty and be afraid we'll go to hell for stealing. Fear of punishment, promise of reward, wrong motive. And until you believe the gospel, you can't change those motives. They're forever stuck in your head. Usually people, when they talk about whether or not you're a good or a bad person, scripture says, first of all, there is none good. No, not one. Now, you know, comparing humans to humans, you know, I, I know some, I work with some decent people, good people, human to human, but according to God, zero, none good, because the standard is Christ. Are you like Christ? No. <clears throat> Find me some more people. Let's compare them. You like, no, not like Christ. So what people have a tendency to do is like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not like Hitler. I'm not like um, Charles Manson. I'm not a pedophile. Congratulations. Swing the gates open. Come on into heaven. You Come on in. That's not enough. That's comparing yourself to other people, and that's easy to do. All you got to do is find the worst people in the world and say, I'm not like that person. That's not the standard of judgment. Are you like Christ? And the answer for everybody is no. How can you be like Christ? That righteousness that he has merited and he has accomplished by establishing what he did on the cross to pay for sin, that must be on your account. You must trust and believe in that righteousness. And by faith, you receive that work. That's simple. People just don't like it. 
Now, about a year or so ago, I did a series. This series called Real Lordship Salvation. Ten-part series. If you haven't looked at it, I recommend you checking it out on Sermon Audio. And I don't want to go into what the debate is about Lordship Salvation. But in the messages, there was a point in time I thought, I better stop and make some kind of statement about what we think about obedience so that some of the ones that are legalistic law people won't say, well, you guys hate God. You don't want to obey God. So I stopped and I made a statement about what the scripture says about how believers are to live. And I, I'm just going to give you a few statements here, just one by one. And we're going to probably continue next week after this. I'll probably repeat this next week. But the statement said this. We believe that there is no excuse for sin and that we are exhorted not to sin or to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's scripture. That's in scripture. We believe that God chastises, or that what that means is lovingly corrects his people when they sin. That's in scripture. We believe that after God's sheep believe the gospel, after God's people, his elect is chosen, after they believe the gospel, they are to obey all new covenant commands through faith and by love. All this, you can be backed by scripture. We believe that the word of God teaches that believers are to bear fruit, do good works. God has, I got in brackets here, God has ordained these works before the foundation of the world. And God energizes people to do them. The word of God teaches us to confess our sin, to repent of our sin, to love the brethren, love our neighbor, and even love our enemies. We believe that faith without works is dead and that God's people are to be a people who are zealous of good works. We believe that good works done by faith and in love are pleasing to God because we do them knowing that we are only accepted in Christ. We here believe and teach that God-given faith is not dormant, but it affects our life because the just or the justified shall live by faith. There is a sacrifice involved wherein we serve God and others. We just read about it in Romans 12, our reasonable service. This means that all who have this faith are all Ministers. The word minister means servants. And then we are bought with a price. We're bought with the blood of Christ. The scripture says we're bought with a price. We are not our own. Christ owns us. He bought us. And then I follow the statement with this. So there's not any confusion about the other people thinking that I'm being legalistic. I come back with another statement to swing it back and say this. No part of salvation is conditioned on us. And because Christ met all the conditions to complete salvation, 
and it's all done by sovereign grace. We here uphold that sanctification or holiness is definitive, complete, and monergistic, or in other words, energized by God and done by sovereign grace. We believe that as we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, we grow down in humility, seeing ourselves as unworthy in all that we are and do. And we will have a growing sense of reverence toward God, a reverential fear, an honor, and an awe of God. And we will, that fear will manifest itself by showing that we are afraid to be accepted anywhere else besides in Christ. We don't want to be accepted in ourselves. We know what God demands, in other words. We must only and always be accepted in Christ. That's reverential fear. We revere him, respect him, honor him. And this is real lordship salvation. Salvation is of the Lord, our righteousness. That's his name from start to finish. So I made that statement. Now, somebody this past week put this on Facebook. And some young man couldn't really take it in. And he got scared. And he said, so what if, here's this question. What if the regenerated, born-again believer does not have any physical good works at the moment of faith in the true gospel? I responded with, First of all, why you make a distinction between physical good works and spiritual good works? I want to get him to think a little bit. He said, I mean, you know, good works, going to church, helping other people, having a humble attitude, being patient. What if I don't do that? Am I doomed? Right away, I'm starting to see something real quick and what this guy's asking. What do we see in the focuses here? The doom that he's worried about implies conditions for self-justification, right? So my answer that he finally saw was scriptural and he relaxed was, I said, God works in his sheep both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's out of Philippians 2. These things are said to be ordained Ephesians 2.10. And my warning was, we are not to be fruit inspectors, right? It says we're to bear fruit, so we're not supposed to be fruit inspectors like you're not doing enough. My fruit's better than your fruit, right? And that's all religion is. Even religion under Calvinism, sovereign grace. I see it all the time. We know it. We're not to be fruit inspectors, and God says that these things will happen in some degree, some degree, I stress, some degree. And then the end is the problem comes when people make this conditional. That's when the problem comes. Well, you're not doing enough to serve the Lord. I guess you are, right? As soon as somebody says that, just wing it right. You are, I guess. You're the standard. I forgot. Christ is not the standard. Now you're the standard. Right? Religious people are famous for, and Christ said this about the Pharisees, they will demand from you things that they will not do themselves. 
That's what religion does. I think in the text you read, talking about they want you to do these things under the law, and they don't even do it themselves, but they want you to do it. So I'm going to wrap it up here. I just want to mention that this is going to be a part two. We'll mess with it next week. But this is not that confusing. What's confusing is religion brings in their garbage and mixes it with some scriptural principles and adds little sprinkles and conditions, makes it meritorious on our part. It's not that difficult. Really only if you know the gospel, the gospel of grace, believed, understood, embraced, and rehearsed all the time, will weed all this garbage out. You have to have your spiritual senses exercised in the gospel. It's a training issue. It's a, it's a war. It's tactical. Scripture talks about we are in a war, and it's a battle for the mind. And if your mind is conditioned to these principles of grace, then you can decide who to engage with who's saying this stuff. After a while, you just kind of, as the scripture says, casting your pearls before swine, you know. After a while, you know, let the dogs bark, you know. Tired of messing with them. You tell them once. If you care for them, you tell them once or twice. After that, pray for them. Have patience. I mean, we were there before ourselves. We're not going to look down at those people and say, and turn into self-righteous ourselves and say, bunch of dummies. God has revealed this truth. I didn't study myself into this truth. God dumped it in my mind through the means of the gospel. I don't take any credit for it. If, if we could study ourselves to heaven, nobody's getting there. God has to open the blind eyes and give us faith to see this truth. And part of us submitting to this truth is relinquishing ourselves from the sin and pride of self-righteousness. It's not going to help you. It's only going to hurt you. And you don't even know that unless God wakes you up to it. So I'm going to put the brakes on there, continue next week. I kind of veered way off my notes. I kind of went slow. There's, you know, newer people here. So I kind of took my time and went into some more detail, which is fine. Any questions or comments at all?